0: Today's guest says that the potential for great success is hidden in plain view. We'll find out what he means in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I'm also very pleased to welcome Rabbi Stephen Barr. Rabbi Barr has spoken all over the world and is a regular speaker at Fortune Magazine Summits. He also keeps busy as the author of several books. He is married and has several children, seven, I believe. Yes, Rabbi Barr? (laughs)
1: Last time I counted, that's right. Well, I I hope you (laughs) haven't
0: missed anybody.
1: (laughs) It just feels like 15. Uh,
0: I understand that completely. (laughs) Welcome to Mind Talk. I'm delighted to have you join us today.
1: It's a real pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, Rabbi Bard, tell us about this notion of yours that the potential for great success is hidden in plain view. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, there's this delusion that I grew up with, and that I think is very common, that there's a certain characteristic called, and it's phrased in different ways, that people are born winners, and and, and it, it carries on in all kinds of subtle ways, like the, the the hero movies, even Legos got into it. That there's a brand or race or grouping of people. They have were born with a special, you know, sign on their head, or touched by an angel, or something or other. That gets them enables them to be able to do things that um, could other normal, those you know, regular people like me or you can't, cannot normally do. And this is is just a disaster. And when you speak to people who really succeed greatly in life, and you hear their stories, you realise. They don't think they're special at all. Um, and what separates the, the people who succeed greatly and ones who don't is the ones who really do succeed realize they're not special. It, it's quite uh, enigmatic when you think about it. And you can hear that from whether it's Steve Jobs, Steve Martin, um, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, go up and down. I, I remember what struck me about this. I was giving a class to my... Um, I think it was about 10 at the time. My son was in the audio. And I was telling him that the struggles that you and I go through, Edison went through, that's a key point in my book. And, um, and my son stood up in shock. And he said, that's not true. And he was, his project in school at that time was doing a biography on Edison. And he was reading books on Edison and everything. And he said, no, Edison just figured it out. Because the biographies in those days did not describe the struggles or the failures of Edison, that he himself talked about. You know, they, it took him ten thousand tries to figure out the light bulb. And his famous quote is that like, you know I didn't fail ten thousand times. It took me ten thousand times to figure out what didn't work. And in, in one of the monikers to um, the Steve Jobs is has achieved is that he's called America's biggest failure. <laughs> right. And it's a very interesting thing that is not so widely known, but in certain circles, that's what he's called, his name. And not as a criticism of him, but as a compliment, because his failures were very public. Whereas, you know, when you're reading, again, Edison or Andrew Carnegie or... um uh, the Wright brothers, or anything like that, you tend, they, they, they write the biographies, like, as Winston Churchill said, history is written by the victors.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: Right. And they're writing these, their biographies or influencing their biographies and cutting out all the bad stuff. They didn't fail, they figured it out, and it makes them look like this superhuman kind of character. And Steve Jobs couldn't do that Because he was kicked out of Apple, and there's a lot of very public things. And everyone's going, like, how does he do that with all these failures? And the point is, no, no, you're making a big mistake. All success has the same amount of failures. We all encounter the same stupid people and the same obstacles and the same kind of crises and the same kind of... And and, and therefore, absolute success, in whatever way you define it, is just as available and right there for you as is everybody else. It's just the people who succeed, like Steve Jobs never had this idea that he had to be special to win. He just went for it. And the people and what holds a lot of people back is well I'm not cut out to to get what I really want out of life. And just thinking that stops you from getting it.
0: Absolutely. Were were you able to, to help your son have a different view?
1: <laughs> that's a great question that's a great question there's uh, as as an old saying that you never know if you make it with your children until the grandchildren come along right so so i talked to him about that but i don't know uh, he was very dubious <laughs> you know he sort leave of it to the into a little bit what's that
0: leave it to the children
1: Leave it to the children. I hope I got through. It, how embarrassing that would be, you know. And, and, and that's a very good point because it, the most, you know, there's like if you think about it, there's, there's two attitudes. You know, all people, you know, like my, one of my favorite jokes is the whole world can be divided into three kinds of people, those who can add up and those who can't. So, <laughs> so so. Uh, So you can can divide the whole world into two kinds of people. Those people who believe that winners are not born and those people who believe they are, right? But there really is a third category, and that is the children of winners. And those people have the hardest time of all because they believe that you're born winning. You have that stuff in you, and you're going to win. They just think they have it. Because their, their father was Mozart, or their father was Beethoven, or Shakespeare, or Michael Jordan, or whatever it happens to be. And because of that, they don't think they have to try, because they think they're born with the winning stuff. And that's why, almost invariably, the children of very successful people don't go on to do anything.
0: You know, as as I was um, reading your book, which is, of course, entitled When, Thinking Can Change Your Destiny, I I noted, because I hadn't really thought about it before, you made just that point on more than one occasion. The children of these people whose names roll off our tongue, we don't really, for the most part, we don't know who they are. We don't think about them. We don't know about them. And and I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but you're absolutely right. right. I want to go back a a bit to your beginning because you describe yourself in in the early pages of WIN, your work at the uh, request of a, a young social worker who wanted you to work with an interesting population, and you said... Well, sure, I'll do that. And then you describe yourself as having been so green that you had no appreciation of what a bad idea that was. What was the population? <laughs> Tell us about that.
1: It was a halfway house in Los Angeles. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and they needed somebody to come speak at this halfway house. And, you know, to be probably at the time, I thought a halfway house was something was a house that had not been finished yet.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: I had to, a little green. Is before, uh, so green. I, this was before the internet, so I had there was no way to even look up what it meant. You know, I had to ask around, and a lot of the people I was didn't know what it was either. And it took me a while to figure out what a halfway house is. And for those people who don't know, who you know similarly green like I was. It's a place where people who come out of prison go. Instead uh, of so just putting them on the street or just letting them go, they put them in a, in a semi prison house environment. They have to show up and they have to be there and they have to attend things. But they have all the freedoms that they could just go off and get. And obviously, they want them to get a job and help them integrate into society. <laughs>
0: the story of sir richard branson um great story
1: just passed away
0: well it, it, you know it it really is a, an amazing story tell us his story
1: well he, he just passed away I don't know if you realize that it's a few weeks ago he just died oh uh, it's a great story 1954 he announced to the world he was going to run the mile in under four minutes people were trying for close to a hundred years in recorded running to be able to, some people thought it was impossible. The human body couldn't, couldn't go that far fast. And the 19th, May 1954 in Oxford, England, he became the first person to run the mile under four minutes, right? Now that's you know a great factoid and it's interesting, but what's an incredible thing is that one year from that date, People were running faster than him.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, those people, so you go, you go. If you ask most people who's Richard Branson or who's the first person to run the four-minute mile and onto a minute, a lot of people know Roger Bannister, right? But if you ask people who was the second person or who was the third person, people haven't got close, right? Now, that person who ran the mile in the under four to, to, I'll give you, give you a sense of appreciation here. To run the mile in the under you're going to be running an average speed of 15 miles an hour. Okay. The average home treadmill has a top speed of 12 miles an hour.
0: Gotcha.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't even... Put the, my treadmill at twelve miles an hour. Look at it; it's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I have no idea how you run fifteen miles an hour. It's like beyond my. Like, how do you do that and maintain that for close to four minutes? So you know, so you the, the top speed today. The world record is only about fifteen seconds faster than Roger Bannister said it seventy years ago. So, so um, sixty-five years ago. So, so. Um, the people who ran the mile under four minutes one year after he did it could have done it before Roger Bannister. But they didn't. Why didn't they? Because they didn't think they could. <laughs> Even though they were eminently a, a, able to do it. They they, they, were, they didn't suddenly train. They didn't suddenly like, look at his shoes and go, oh my goodness, that's the difference. They didn't eat. Cheerios in the morning—they're not a sponsor either. Right. They, <laughs> they, uh, yet. But they, uh, they, they, yeah. But they, what changed? Just an idea. They realized they could. Meaning that if you went to them a year, the day before Roger Bannister and the four-minute mile, and he said, "And you can run the mile under four minutes," they would have said to you, "It's impossible. I can't. I'm pushing myself to the limit. I'm not tough enough to do it." Mm. and they were wrong because it's nothing to do with tough it has to do with easy as soon as they saw Roger Bannister do it they go I can do it too it's easy and they did I met someone not too long ago who ran the four minute mile in high school mind boggling I don't even remember his name and that's the point people <laughs> just doing it it's, not, it's no big deal anymore when you make your goals easy, they become incredibly available to you.
0: You know, it, it, it sounds like if you don't know or believe that you can't, then you can.
1: Right, that's a famous um, Henry Ford quote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The people who say they can and the people that say they can't are correct. Whether you say you can or whether you say you can't, you'll be correct. And that's exactly the point we started out with. The only people who think they're not born winners are the winners. Henry Ford did not think he was anything special. He just believed you can—you—you—you you, you don't have to be special to achieve anything you want to achieve in life. It's everybody else thinks that he was special. And that's what keeps us from being the Henry Fords. You make
0: the point that telling a child that he or she is a born loser, you refer to it as a form of bullying. In fact, you say there is no greater form of bullying than to tell a child they are a born loser. What do you mean by that
1: right it d- obviously it's a disaster because because you know there's physical abuse which is of awful and horrendous, but the mental abuse is a, is even more damaging. The physical abuse you can observe and you can heal, but the mental abuse is very difficult to put. You don't know where to put the Band-Aid. So when you when you tell a child that they are incapable of any of, of becoming anything, or or anything specific, you've you know you cut out their potential in, in life. They they are stuck with whatever comes their way, and they don't think they can ever change that debilitating. It's just we don't realise that we're doing that. You know, obviously, the extremes when you actually get parents that, God forbid, do say terrible things like that to their children, it's it's terrible. But we don't realise that we're doing that when we when we put out these superhuman movies or these um, uh, accolades to stars and winners, so so to speak, winners that they're born. This kind of stuff, because what you're implying is that some people are not born with that. So when you tell, when you when you when you talk about people born winners, you're implying that some people are not, and that, is, that has a very deep impression in children.
0: So it's it's very it's critical to be mindful of the language that we use. Period. But certainly the the language that we use to. And uh, and around our children,
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. You see, people think that they can tell their children they're phenomenal and they're uh, superstars, and they can do anything they want, and they're great, and all that, all that kind of stuff. You see, con- consistently, commonly given over to children, and and. Um, the problem is that at one point, your children kind of go to school and they realize every parent's telling their children the same thing. And it's, they soon realize that, you yeah, know, you're saying it because I'm your child. You're not saying because you believe it's true. There's a, there's a great movie that just came out called Winner. And not Winner, Wonder, excuse me. Wonder, about a child born with facial deformities. And it goes, it's based on a true story, and it's a, a book. It's a phenomenal movie with um, um, Julia Roberts, and uh, I forget the, the male actor, but, but it's, a, it's a great movie. And there's one scene where his, his mom is saying to you, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, even though externally this child has got a lot of facial problems. And the kid turns to, you, you to says you have to say that because you're my mother. Mm. And you, you look at it and go, oh, my goodness, he figured it out. Yes. And what's the mum going to say now? And she answers beautifully. And she says, it's because I'm your mother that I'm telling you the truth, that you're beautiful. And it's nothing to do with how you look. And it's nothing to do to with how anyone looks. It's the beauty that emanates from inside that really is all that's important.
0: That is a beautiful response.
1: Beautiful response. It's a great movie. I highly recommend it. And and one of the things you see from that movie, and I, I like to ask people this question, is if you haven't seen the movie, go look at it, and then ask this question, who's the kid that suffers the most? Hmm. And what you will see from it, and it's a point I bring in the book as well, in, the, in my book, Win, is that the kid that suffers the most is the bully. And I, I don't think that's the point that the movie is trying to make, but it's just inherent in the nature of people who, who get their kicks out of ruining other people's lives, do so because they have very decrepit lives themselves.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I- so you feel sorry for the for the bully more than you do for the for the victim.
0: I want to go back to um, Sir Richard Branson because uh, many people don't think about all of his accomplishments and all of his disabilities. You say that he's actually got some interesting, is certainly a way to think about it, disabilities. Among them, he was certainly quite dyslexic, but among his disabilities was a difficulty he had between understanding gross and net profit, now, here's a man who owned 400 different companies. How oh, that,
1: is it possible? Oh, Richard Branson, right, right. Yes.
0: How, how is right. it possible that he right. could not know the difference between <clears throat> gross and net profit when he actually was so profitable?
1: That's an amazing story. You you can when, when We live in an inc- incredible time because when I was going, you couldn't do this. Uh, but today you can go on YouTube and you can meet most of the people you think are, uh, your heroes, or what you call winners. And Richard Branson has got a lot of YouTube videos, and you can hear him talk and, and hear his own words about what success means and, and how to achieve it. And um, he grew up in my hometown in England. And uh, I, I like to say, you know, in America, we pride ourselves. I've got dual nationality, I became an American citizen, very proud to say, a couple of years ago. Very, very uh, uh, important thing. I'm very proud that I did that, um, and um, he. So I can criticize both countries now.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so, um, but in America, we like to pride ourselves that these these billionaires dropped out of college. You know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and um, uh, other. I think Zuckerberg did. I'm not sure. But so uh, uh, in England we kind of really do it right um Richard Branson dropped out of high school. So uh, you know none of this college nonsense. I so <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he
0: really went so for the he, gusto.
1: <laughs> his incredible success. I mean he's he breaks all the business rules and the business is a very there's a kind of the golden rule is specialize and keep to your core competencies. And he has 400 companies underneath him all the way from Coca-Cola and wedding dresses to airlines and cell phones. And he's amazingly dyslexic. He admits it. He talks about it. It's very hard to watch these YouTube videos because he jumps all over the place. He can't keep a thought straight. It's very difficult, very painful to to pay attention to him. And uh, one of the things he openly admits, and I would not have believed it, is he doesn't know the difference in gross and that. Now, I bet you if you have somebody who cleans your house and they don't know the difference between gross and net, you wouldn't hire them. Right? I mean, it's like how can you how, how can you possibly not know the difference between gross profit and net profit? Right. Let alone be one of the richest people on the planet, right? Doesn't make any is, sense. It doesn't make any sense. No. And the, and, and the absolute point is, as we as we keep saying, is, don't focus on what you're struggling with. Focus on what you need to get done. If you look at your, the things that are stopping you from getting whatever it is, yeah, you're right, you're going to be stuck. He never did that. He didn't have the education to do that. He never thought that these things would, would inhibit him from achieving what he wanted. He, and he talks about this. Is you ha- he loved what he did. I always imagine he's, in, he's sitting with a career officer. And the career officer says, you know, this is what you need to think about. Become an artist, a gardener maybe, a chef, right? But don't go into business. I mean, you don't <laughs> know how to add up. You don't know how to – if you don't know growth and net, how can you possibly And he didn't come for money. His, he got his star. His mother found a necklace on the street, brought it into the police station, and after a few weeks, no one claimed it. His mother, they said to his mother, you can have it, and she sold it for a few hundred pounds, and that started his first business. It was a, some kind of newspaper. It's
0: extraordinary. He went
1: one, it's an amazing story, but he, he did what he loved, and he never imagined that he couldn't, he couldn't succeed. It's amazing, amazing concept.
0: He did he didn't know that he was supposed to fail.
1: He didn't know, right, exactly. And, um and and thinking this you have to be born a certain way or born a winner is just crazy it just holds us back
0: the the concepts that you share in win and the the shifts that you ask the reader and today's listeners to make on some levels they're they're so easy and so simple and on every level they're so powerful I, I have to thank you, Rabbi Stephen Barr's author of Win, for spending time with us today and for sharing all of your expertise. Tell us how folks can get more information about well, what you're doing.
1: <coughs> well, it's been a true delight. You've been a wonderful host. It's a great interview. It's gone by. I looked at my clock just now and go, oh, my goodness, where did the hour go? <laughs> so, uh, Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, they can, they can uh, Amazon, uh, the book is going to come out May 15th. Just look up WIN and by Stephen Bars. That's spelled B-A-A-R-S. Or look on our website, uh, core9.live or getbliss.com. And uh, we'd love to, love to get feedback and hear from people, what they think of the book and these ideas
0: core 9 what is that
1: so the the book is based on a seminar called think like a winner with, and it's and it's built on nine core ideas and the book win is based on one of those ideas
0: i see you a, as we close out today there's just one more uh quote of yours that i'd like to share with the listeners you say that when you are living your life in the present, there is only one thing you want from the past. It's lessons. That is so powerful and so critical. Again, thank you, Rabbi Stephen Barr's author of "When Change Your Thanks. Thinking, Change Your Destiny. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Doctor.
0: And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26x2 Communications. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to myndtalk.org. There are lots of places where you can listen to MindTalk. You can find out by going to the MindTalk website. You can download the MindTalk app from iTunes or Google Play. But again, the main site to go to get all the information you want about MindTalk is myndtalk.org. I'd love to know. Where in the world you are as you're listening to Mind Talk today, and if you have any questions or comments or thoughts or recommendations, so do send an email to me at Pamela, P A M E L A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then that, that's what it is. Unacceptable. You take care. <music>